All right. Welcome to Why Is This Good, a podcast by the Naples Writers Workshop. I'm Christine and I'm here with John. Hey, John. Hello. All right. This week, it's my turn. And I chose a story from a list that I found online uh, because we talk all the time about, you know, making more of an effort to include female writers and also writers of color. So I found a list and I picked the woman with the coolest name. And I had no idea what I was going to end up reading, but I knew it'd be good. And it was in The New Yorker. So this is Drinking Coffee Elsewhere by ZZ Packer, which is a sweet name. When all the soap had been rinsed off, I put on my regular clothes and said, Okay, you're up next. No way, she said. Yes way. She started to take off her uniform shirt, then stopped. What? I'm too fat. You goddamn right. She always said she was fat. One time I had told her that she should shut up about it, that large black women wore their fat like mink coats. You're big as a house, I said now. Frozen yogurt may be low in calories, but not if you eat five tubs of it. Take your clothes off. I want to get out of here. She began taking off her uniform, then stood there, hands cupped over her breasts, crouching at the pubic bone. Open up, I said, or we'll never get done. Her hands remained where they were. I threw the bottle of liquid soap at her, and she had to catch it, revealing herself as she did. I turned on the squirt gun, and she stood there, stiff, arms at her side, eyes closed, as though awaiting mummification. I began with the water on low, and she turned around in a full circle, hesitantly, letting the droplets from the spray fall on her as if she were submitting to a death by stoning. When I increased the water pressure, she slipped and fell on the sudsy floor. She stood up and then slipped again. This time she laughed and remained on the floor rolling around on it as I sprayed. I think I began to love Heidi that night in the dishroom, but who is to say that I hadn't begun to love her the first time I met her? I sprayed her and sprayed her, and she turned over and over like a large, beautiful dolphin, lolling about in the sun. Yeah, so like I said, I had never read this story when I picked it. Didn't know really what I was in for. And I was kind of pleasantly surprised that this was also the kind of story that probably in a way defies a lot of descriptions of like a typical plot. Even as I think about it now, I can tell you some of maybe the themes it touches on and I can tell you about the character, but it's hard to know kind of what happens. And we talked, I think, in one of the podcasts or maybe it was in our workshop recently about how I like these kind of quiet stories that end with a revelation and and what about that actually constitutes a story i actually think this has a classical story structure structure sure okay so explain john well because it's a character who behaves in a certain way has the opportunity to change and doesn't and then so it's a tragic there's there's a moment in which she could do something she has in that moment could go one of two ways chooses not to go the way that we're all rooting for her to go and goes the other way instead and I think that's basic classic story. She's her own obstacle in a lot of ways. Yeah, I guess maybe that would be more obvious to me had she gone the way that we hoped she would. And instead, this kind of feels like a story about inaction, you know? But to your point, the classic story structure is a conflict and how a character responds to it. So she responds by being herself. And like you said, like not changing even those opportunities on a silver platter. And for that reason it felt like a much quieter story it felt like a story that was for the most part like happening in her head oh yeah and i think it's it has that structure but i don't think of it as a story in that way it's more of just like an exploration of a character yeah 
I don't want to spoil it, but the more we do these, sometimes I feel like certain stories deserve a little bit of a summary. But it's basically about a narrator who's black and gets into an Ivy League school. It's Yale. And so she's at Yale. And at the very beginning of her time there, she makes an offhand comment in one of these like icebreaker situations and ends up having to have therapy sessions (laughs) throughout her first year there. So the story is kind of punctuated with these sessions at the therapist. But throughout, she's kind of falling in love with Heidi, who you met in the part that I described. And Heidi is a bit of an outcast herself. Her name is Dina, the narrator. She probably feels like, she feels like an outcast, but, and I think she would have felt that way had she not made this offhand comment. But as the therapist kind of confronts her, you get the sense that she self-sabotages in a lot of ways. And she does this repeatedly to avoid whatever difficult truth she's trying to avoid. And that's kind of what the story explores but I was just so surprised by the turn that it took because she's kind of exploring her sexuality she doesn't even like come out and say definitively like how she feels one way or the other that scene that I that I just read I'm surprised having read it again to see that she admits there that she loves Heidi and you don't really get a sense of like how or why she loves her and like I don't even think this shower scene is like erotic it's more like exploratory like if it was in a movie you wouldn't be like oh this is hot you'd be like this is interesting what are they you know like what are they about to do and how they think of this later like is it intimate or is it like a little weird and so the story was really surprising for me and I didn't know where it was gonna go and I was rooting for both of them even though Dina is not necessarily like her best self in this piece I like her as a narrator but she's not always kind to Heidi she's not always kind to her therapist she seems to have a lot of walls up and still you manage to like root for her and really enjoy her and I don't know I was just I was so surprised by the whole piece And and I was thinking about it long after which I think is like a good mark of any kind of story. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so and to your point by the end she she has an opportunity to be there for Heidi and whatever that means we don't really get a total clear sense. It's like maybe they're going to like date now or maybe they're just going to be like really good friends or maybe she's just going to like acknowledge Heidi in a way that she hasn't yet and she doesn't do that. It's a weird piece. Yeah, I agree with pretty much everything you said. I really liked the narrator. I was rooting for her the whole time. I liked her um, our attitude and snark and some of the things she did, but also wanted her to be happy and, you know, everything to turn out. And so it's kind of at the end, you're like, ah, oh, you could have done, you could have had something, could have had something. The only criticism that I had about this and I had it as I was reading it, it wasn't distracting to me, but it's something that I think I've said before is this whole use of a therapist. Ah. So like the classic, I think, example of this, The Sopranos, which the only reason it works in The Sopranos is because a freaking mobster would never go to a therapist, right? So there's something... That's the cool thing about yeah. The Sopranos, yeah. Yeah, so that's like, that's the ticket, right? You're not going to get this like inside look into Tony Soprano's brain unless he has to tell someone. And the fact that he's willing to tell someone is what engages you about this mobster character. Yeah. And the relationship does a lot for that piece and everything. And here, obviously, it does a lot of heavy lifting. Like we learn a lot about Dina. The therapist has a section where he says like, I think you're having a crisis of identity, which when I read that, I was like, oh, this is a story. Because at that point, like it hadn't been totally clear to me. So he does a lot of like heavy lifting. And I don't know, the more I like kind of read it, I was like, could she have pulled this story off without that? Maybe this is like based on something not true, but like more plausible. Maybe she didn't think too hard about that decision so much. But that's what I was kind of struck by as I was reading it. I was like, oh, you know, 
know, I've definitely criticized this device before. I think that criticism is warranted in certain respects. Though I guess my, if I had to generate a defense, it would be that I think in the therapy session, she's also offered that chance to grow. Yes. She could take it seriously. And she almost does here and there, but not quite. And then like leaves and doesn't take it seriously. So it kind of works with the theme of her character and how she interacts with the world. It kind of helps show us her in other situations than merely with Heidi. That's my best defense. I think that's a good one because the other section that I almost read was when the therapist like first confronts her about whether she's had a relationship before. So he's he's kind of telling her like it can be a boy or it could have been a girl or it could have been a real it could have been a boyfriend or a girlfriend it could have been like a crush and then as a narrator she says it was sacrifice time if i could spend the next half hour talking about some boy then i'd have given him what he wanted so i told him about the boy with the nice shoes and so that was really clever right and to your point it also gives her this opportunity which she could have pulled off somewhere else to explain the first time she had a crush and how she's never kissed anyone and this was like a Finding moment for her because she used to take the bus to buy groceries in a better neighborhood and then take the bus back to her house because she didn't want to like use food stamps at the local grocery store. She's embarrassed. So she's like coming back from one of these trips and in the good neighborhood, like a cute boy comes up to her and he offers to help her and it's a genuine offer. And she immediately is, she's intrigued, but she knows that she ultimately can't let him follow her home because he'll find out about her. And that's like at that moment, the worst thing that can happen to her is for someone to like see beyond on this facade that she has created. And that's the theme throughout. Like she feels like an imposter at Yale. And I think she feels like an imposter probably even as she's like exploring her sexuality. She's like, is this really me? Yeah, which makes her retreat to that. That's why the ending, she doubles down on herself. Like this is who I am. The person who pushes everyone away. And which is the same thing. Well, and with the boy with the shoes, obviously she ran away. What else did you like about it? I liked how it how it moved. I liked the way it unraveled, you know, scenes and flashbacks, a lot of just the mechanics of it. You know, because we read uh, stories that are experimental in certain ways or aren't just straight scene-driven, you know, event happens, it causes another event, it causes another event, and then we just like, watch those scenes unfold. This is that style of scenes unfolding, but it, it also incorporates flashbacks. It's, it's very straightforward in that way, but it's done really well. So right. I just like watching the mechanics of how she gets us from scene to scene and into the flashbacks and stuff like that. It's very good. When there's a story like this that I've ever written that like covers a big span of time I think it's sometimes easier to write these stories when you do envision them in those scenes and you envision these scenes as needing to happen in a certain order to like establish you know this arc and so you can see how she kind of plotted this out she's like I gotta cover a full semester at college so I gotta start with why she's in therapy and then I'm gonna introduce Heidi and then I'm gonna introduce the therapy session and then there's gonna be another Heidi scene then a therapy session then the Heidi scene then a flashback then a Heidi and like when you break it down like that it's it sounds simple somehow but I think that's it's like a really good tool when you can like read a story and you can see how these scenes were laid out and how how they're separate you know and the New Yorker I think we've talked about this they freaking love scenes like they love doing the big drop cap there's always five of these in every story but like when I'm reading it it gives me the sense that it was carefully crafted according to scene and I've done that like I've also written stories like start to finish and there's no like time to pause 
and catch your breath. One of the mechanics that she does in here that I am responding to is this is when Heidi first shows up at her door. She mentions the revolver comment won me a year's worth of psychiatric counseling. The next paragraph she says, shortly after getting my first D, I also received the first knock on my door. And that knock is going to turn out to be Heidi. But before we find out who's knocking at the door, the whole rest of that paragraph is like kind of a summary of setting up her experience, how she's responding to people trying to reach out to her, which is going to set in context what Heidi does. So, and she she says, I, I received the first knock on my door and then female counselors never knocked. Um, and then she talks about what they did. And then she's talking about different ways in which she answers the door, including uh, um, by the second week, I'd made a point of sitting in a chair in front of the door just when I expected a counselor to pop her head around. This was intended to startle them. I also made a point of being naked. The unannounced visits ended. And then she switches back to the current scene and says, the knocking persisted. Through the people, I saw a white face. Interrupting the current scene in this way, this is like a, you could probably frame this out as like a A, B, C, D. These are the steps you should take in order to introduce this kind of background material and then copy it. You can just like as a stamp and just do it over and over again. I think that the mechanics of this are really sound. That's like, that's the kind of thing I'm thinking of when I'm looking at when I'm talking about how good the mechanics are in here. Okay. So the mechanics are good and you can like break it down and make it like, you know, step by step. But what she's also doing, I know you know this, I just have to say it. What she's also doing is like picking the perfect details. She's keeping it short. She's not telling you things you don't need to know right then. She's explaining in this case, other instances when someone's knocked on the door and what she did instead of like, now I'd like to tell you about some perfect thing in my past. Like, no. <laughs> that's right. Well, yeah. And the past only comes up in the appropriate context too. Like like you mentioned earlier when she's talking to the therapist, she's like, I have to offer a sacrifice. I'm going to tell him about the boy with the shoes. And then the story of the boy with the shoes shows up, which arises naturally and we're we're there for it. We're ready for it. It's not just some digression we don't understand. Mm-hmm. In this thing you read, you, she, said, um, she said, I'm too fat. You're goddamn right. She always said she was fat. One time I told her that she should shut up about it, that large black women wear their fat like mink coats. That's another thing where she moves into um, out of the scene to talk about some previous conversation and then comes right back into the scene. You're you're big as a house, I said now. And then now is obviously a, a marker of that shift back. But those kinds of things, just the way that the way that she slides into those background details works really well. When I think this yeah, this is after they hadn't spoken for a long time. She came back and knocked, says Heidi knocked, let me in. It was like the first time I met her, the tears, the raw pink of her face, those details, because she established them so strongly in the first meeting, we are right back into that feeling again. She can just refer to them in that way, the tears, the raw pink of her face. She does a really good job throughout of making Heidi feel like a really real character. And maybe it's because Heidi's like, she's kind of one of these larger than life type people. She seems like, she seems like when she's in the room, you notice. And I mean, the first time she meets her, she's crying. Yeah. And she seems almost like a, like a little bit annoying. Like at least she like kind of grates on the narrator a little bit. And it becomes less clear whether that's because the narrator, you know, is putting these walls up as well. But she seems to be this like little buzzing, like she's happy and she's figuring herself out and the narrator's not. So like as Heidi kind of evolves, she gets like more grating. But every time she describes her, especially physically, I feel like I can really see her. And I feel like a lot of times when we describe characters, we describe like what they physically look like, but then we do it like kind of once or we do it when it's like really sexual and we don't do it at moments when like an emotion goes with it so she describes her crying like three different times 
and it makes her look really real. Yeah, she she does feel like she has a very you know her personality very well just from Dina's observations of her. Yeah, you're absolutely right, and that that can only come through physical description because we don't have access to her thoughts, right? Yeah, sure. And to be fair, I do feel like I know this narrator pretty well too. Oh, of course, yeah. Yeah, like her cards are on the table, even though like she's harder to visualize because she hasn't given you know this full blown physical description of herself but yeah just to the point of like when you have to describe like you said a character whose thoughts were not in yeah the more time you spend describing like how they're moving physically even she like describes like the color of her skin a lot when it's like pink and i think she calls her like moon faced or something yeah flush and like all those different things helped you like really picture her i feel like if heidi walked into a room i'd be like oh it's heidi from zz <laughs> packer story there's a line i liked and it kind of it's disguised as physical description, but it's presenting her thoughts. She looked at me as though she'd expected this sort of answer and didn't know why she'd asked in the first place. So you can see the expression on her face, right? You can visualize what that expression would look like. But Dina's not telling us what it actually looks like. She's telling us what she thinks Heidi is thinking in that moment, right? And it's kind of reminiscent at the beginning. I love this description. During the orientation game at the beginning, after she said um, a revolver and got everyone's attention, they said, there was one other black person in the circle. And at the end of each person's turn, he smiled and bobbed his head with unfettered enthusiasm. Oh, that was good, he said, as if the game were an experiment he'd set up and the results were turning out better than he'd expected. Good, good, good. And then at the end, she says, a revolver. And the counselor's like, a revolver? Could you elaborate? And the, the black guy cocked his head and frowned as if the beakers and Erlenmeyer flasks of the experiment had grown legs and scurried off. I love that because it's describing his expression. It's using the, um, the previous um, metaphor that described him and his attitude and just giving this wonderful visual. Uh, it's such a great line. I liked it because our cat's name is Beaker. <laughs> that works. The other thing I was going to mention, I feel like I'm going to make it my takeaway, I think. And we kind of touched on this, but I like Dina as a narrator, even though she's not super likable in this story. She does things and says things that she doesn't mean. And she's kind of withholding with everyone around her. And then ultimately doesn't do this thing that we're rooting for her to do. And I think the reason I like her is because she seems like a real character. Like her motivations feel believable and laid out and I can understand them. She seems to be like really grappling with something. So I can appreciate that she's not going to be this like perfect character on the page, right? We're reading about a time that's been like really difficult for her. But I think what I like about this is that people talk all the time about like, can you like a non-likable narrator? Or can you like a bad character? And we talk a lot of times about the example being that in certain movies and books, you can easily root for a villain if what they're after is kind of like interesting or like, I think one of the examples I used recently was Dexter. So he kills people, but he kills other serial killers. So you're like, all right, that's fine. Or like Robin Hood or something, right? Like if you can kind of shoehorn your morals into this character, you can root for them. Or if it's just like exciting, right? If you understand their motivations, you can usually- Yes, if you understand their motivations. And that's true, except I think the reason I also like her is that she's extremely self-aware. So she's not, she's a reliable narrator. She's telling us kind of at every turn, she understands what she's doing. And that's why she frustrates everyone around her. They all look at her and they're like, you're too smart for this. You know what you're doing. You know, this is like not in your best interest. You 
know you're not trying or that you could be doing this, but you're not, you're choosing not to. And and all these people are trying to reach her throughout the story. And when she like kind of rebuffs them, they're just like, all right, you know, like that was your shot. And how many shots do you want? And so she doesn't seem like a bad character. She she seems like she's really struggling with this and and none of these people are going to be able to, to help her, right? Like it's not Heidi's job to reach her. It's not even like her therapist's job to reach her. I like her for that reason. I feel like when we say that we don't like a character who's not likable, it's usually because they don't realize they're an asshole. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. So I guess my takeaway is kind of like to explore a character who realizes that they're their own worst enemy almost. That's kind of what this felt like. And And this also felt like a big enough problem where I was willing to deal with that conundrum. Because if you say like you're your own worst enemy when it comes to, I don't know, doing your chores, like who cares, right? But this is big. This is everything for her and she can't fix it in this semester at school. I felt for. Yeah. Also, I just realized that this was published in 2000. Yep. This is 20 years old and it holds up. Yeah. What's your takeaway, John? My takeaway is some of the same thing, except a little more abstract. The idea of creating a well-defined character and letting that character be who they are. And who they are kind of drives the story. And even the ending, like I said at the beginning, we come to a place in the story where she can either change a little bit or continue to be who she has been. And I think we'd accept either one as readers. But in this case, she uh, she continues to be who she is. And it's, it's kind of um, tragic in that way. We want her to find a path that leads to happier place. But yeah, but just to generalize that, you know, creating characters that have that power and that strength to just drive a narrative and um, create all the interests, you know, and obviously that's kind of basic. That's what stories are. They're about people who do things, right? <laughs> well, but I think to your point, it's, this feels like a story that started with the character, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So it start it starts with her. And then if you put her in this scenario, like what would she actually do? And she probably wouldn't change instead of like how we sometimes in envision a plot first and then when the character is not believable it's because we've pushed them on this route that we wanted but the character wasn't thought out yeah so many stories are written where it's like oh wonder if this cool thing happened and the story that's not what a story it's not just a bunch of random stuff that happens it's about characters who make choices and have to try to accomplish things and grow as human beings or have the opportunity to grow but if random stuff just happens along the way that's different right all those choices are what make them real yes yeah and this is definitely one of those stories that her choices along the way define who she is for us. We see who she is based on what she's done. Well, I think that's it for this one. Yeah. All right. Thanks, guys. If you enjoyed this episode, consider subscribing to our monthly newsletter at our website, NaplesWritersWorkshop.com. And for daily writing tips, industry news, and great short fiction, join our Facebook group at Facebook.com slash groups slash Naples Writers Workshop.